right, ladies and gentlemen. You are tuned in to His Heart Line. Thank you for joining us. Where every day we have something going on. Whether it's 1% with him, a His Heart Line discussion, or perhaps a Brandenburg Block Hour. Don't forget to check out the website, www.hishardline.com. You can also find us on Podbean. But we are here six out of the seven days a week. Here just trying to get Jesus in people's hearts. To tell you how to assemble your nation. How to get your nation back. How to restore the republic. How to take accountability for your own life. And to finally be free. You know, the problem is, is that there's just too many people out there that just want to complain. They don't want to be part of the solution. They just want to whine and whine and whine and blah, blah, blah. You know, they just want to cry, cry, cry. But you know what? I tell those people, once you get off to the sidelines, grab your little juice box, go sit down, suck your thumb, and watch the real men and women get after it. Because if all you're going to do is complain, then what, then what good are you? Be part of the solution. Don't sit there and cry about it. Don't sit there and contribute to the problem or, you know, say you got the solution. Why don't you be part of it? Get involved with your assembly. But first, why don't you get involved with God? Because that's where it starts. You got to get involved with God. You got to get involved with Jesus Christ. Invite him in your heart because we can't turn this nation around unless we all point to God. God has to be centered at everything we do. I don't think many people realize just how important that little detail is. God has to be centered at the heart of everything. I mean, if we have any chance of turning this country around, that's the way it has to be. And remember what it says in Joshua 1.9. I command you, be firm and steadfast. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Welcome to His Hard Line, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get started. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're at in the world. I am Jason, your co-host with God and Jesus Christ at my side because they are the host. They are the ones in charge and they are at the wheel. Therefore, they are steering the ship through these crazy waters that we call life. So welcome. Glad to have you all here. You are joined with another episode of 1% with Him. Here it is, our line. We're going to be reading out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. Fairly short reading. Uh, but before we get into all that, I hope everybody had a great weekend. It is Sunday, November 20th, 2022. I apologize for a slightly later than average start. Had a very long county meeting. And then after that, we had a, uh, a prior engagement to meet up with a couple friends. It was a birthday friend, friend of ours who is also a neighbor of ours. Um, it was her 32nd birthday today, so we went to go and enjoy a uh, nice dinner with them. <clears throat> There's this awesome place called TED's, which is basically an acronym for Talk, Eat, Drink. It's a great, great place. The owner's excellent. So anyway, I have not been paying attention to much of anything. i just been listening to piano instrumental music in my semi today. I need to listen to more calming things when I'm driving in the middle of a freaking blizzard and snowstorm because the last thing I feel like doing is get my tensions high and becoming stressed <laughs> when I'm trying to drive through a whiteout, whiteout conditions. It's not fun. So anyway, so again, like I said, we're going to be reading Isaiah chapter 15 verses 1 through 9. But before we get to that, 
there are a couple of sound clips I do want to play that I thought was really inspiring. Now, the first thing is four things that we need to know as we get in to life. Now, I don't know if this is from a movie or what, but it's something I found on TikTok. Um, I just started following the channel because I really liked it. It showed up on my feed randomly. And there's two sound clips. The first one's like a minute and 20 seconds. Another one's like a minute and a half. But this first one I really, really valued and thought was worth playing this evening before I get into the reading. Four things you need to know about life. There are four things you need to know before you go out into the world. First, look at this pencil. We know that in order for it to become a useful pencil, that from time to time, again and again, it's going to have to go through a resharpening. Well, if this pencil could feel, we could imagine how painful that would be. But that's what it takes for it to be a useful pencil. Life is much the same. Painful experiences and challenges come to us all. But it is through these opportunities that we build character and we grow. Second is to keep in mind that we'll be able to correct many of the mistakes you make along the way, just like this eraser. So if we learn from our mistakes, they're not mistakes. They're lessons we can use to do better the next time around. And third, just like this pencil, every place where you are used, so to speak, you leave your mark writing your own story. And fourth, always remember, the most important part of you is what's inside. Yeah, I absolutely love that. That that was just remarkable. When I heard that, I I just thought, wow, that is really profound. But the the next and most profound thing that I read or listened to today, this was I think amazing. I had a friend of mine who used to work in the company that I'm still working with right now. He went and moved on to a different company hauling fuel for a third-party carrier. Um, but he used to work for Gordon foods and he was a truck driver for them as well, delivering food to restaurants and, and places like that. And he had a similar story. I, I shouldn't even say story, but a similar analogy slash story, I guess, that is really closely related to what this next sound clip I'm going to play regarding basically finding a good solid balance in life with family and your work and your health, but really how you should really pay attention to the things that ultimately make you happy. Give this a listen. It's about, like I said, hour or a minute and 20 seconds, but really profound advice. I absolutely love this. Now, before I push play on this, let me just paint the visual because the visual is more powerful as you hear it. So there are three things. He's got this big glass jar in front of him just to provide you a little bit imagery so you know what you're listening to and it takes place in like a college setting now the professor looks to his college students and he fills this glass jar full of golf balls and he asks the, the, the student body is this filled up and they all say yes then he fills it up with pebbles then he fills it up with sand so just to provide the context and the imagery of the scene before you listen to it now let's give it a listen Is this jar full? Yes. And is it full now? Yes. And how about now? Is the jar full now? Now, I want you to recognize that this jar represents your life. 
golf balls are the important things, your family, your friends, your health, and your passions. The pebbles are the other important things, your car, your job, your home. The sand is everything else, it's just the small stuff. Now if you put the sand in the jar first, you won't have room for the pebbles or the golf balls. Same is true in life. If you spend all your energy and your time on the small stuff, you won't have time for all the really important things that matter to you. Pay attention to the things that are critical to your happiness. Take care of the golf balls first, the really important things. Set your priorities, because everything else is it's just sad. Okay, so excellent, excellent message. I love the messaging. I love what he was saying. Whoever, I'm going to say this, whoever scarfed up these video clips that already had music slight music in the background because you could hear different two different types of music this is completely off topic and off base but whoever added additional music for dramatic feel overpowered the slight guitars you hear in the background that was in poor taste whoever did that is a moron because it really is distracting but if you can get past the instrumental distractions it was a very good point he was saying you know the golf balls are the important, the really important things in life, like your family, your health, right? Your passions. The pebbles are smaller, but you know, also important things, your car, your job, things like that. And then the sand is everything else. Now, I'm not going to rehash what he just said, but I had a, my friend, my coworker, Chris, who said something very something, something very similar to that, but in a different, uh, he put it a little differently. What he basically state, stated to me, he said, in life, Jason, you have your family, which is take shape of a glass ball, all right, about the size of a ball that a clown would use to juggle with. But instead of being a rubber ball, it's a glass ball. And then you get your job. It's a regular red round rubber ball. And then you got your hobbies. And then you got your friends, then you got your, your health, right? Got your job. He says, and, and you're constantly balancing and juggling these things in your life, constantly juggling friends, family, job, working out the gym, hobby, right? You're constantly juggling these things. But if you, the one that you drop and that you miss, which is the family, the glass ball. Now, you might drop it once or twice, and it might get cracked. And the glass might shard off a little bit and splinter off. And then it goes from being a perfect glass ball to chipped and pitted and cracked. And after enough times of dropping that ball, eventually it's going to shatter into a hundred plus pieces or more. And it will take a lot to get that back together. If you can find and manage to find all the pieces, it's pretty, be pretty much damn near impossible. See everything else in life you can bounce back from. Your health, you can always bounce back from if you happen to have bad health. You can, you will always be able to bounce back from that, generally. Your hobby, you'll be able to bounce back. If you drop that, 
that can always bounce back to you. You can always bounce back from a job loss. You can always bounce back from X, Y, Z. You just insert the name here, what, what pertains to you. But that glass ball, which is representative of your family, after you drop that enough times, sure, it won't bounce back, but you can always pick it up. But one day you're not going to be able to pick that up if you drop that glass ball one too many times. And again, that is representative of your family. And so what he told me is you want to keep extra good care of that one particular ball because that's the one you cannot afford to drop many times. And I thought that was profound. I was like, wow. So anyway, it reminded me of that story as I heard the sound clip from, from, uh, from TikTok. Okay, now let's get on to business here. So, the reading. Isaiah chapter 15, starting with verse 1. The, pronoun- the pronouncement concerning Moab. Certainly in a night, R of Moab is devastated and ruined. Certainly in a night, Kerr of Moab is devastated and ruined. The people have gone up to the temple and to Dibon, to the high places to weep. Moab wails over Nebu and Mediba. Everyone's head is bald and every beard is cut off. In their streets, they have put on a sackcloth. On their housetops and in their public squares, everyone is wailing, overcome with weeping. Heshbon and Eliah also cry out, and their voice is heard all the way to Jehaz. Therefore, the armed men of Moab cry aloud. His souls trembles within him. My heart cries out for Moab. His fugitives are as far as Zor and Eglath. Shalishia, forgive me, a lot of hard names for me here to pronounce. For they go up the ascend of Leith, weeping. Indeed, on the road to Harnaim, They raise a cry of distress over their collapse, for the waters of Nimrim are desolate. Indeed, the grass is withered, the new growth has died, there is no greenery. Therefore, the abundance which they have acquired and stored up, they carry it off over the brook of Arabim, for the cry of distress has gone around the territory of Moab. Its wailing goes as far as Eglam, and its howling to Beer Elim. For the waters of Diamond are full of blood, and I will certainly bring added woes upon Demon, Diamond, a lion upon the fugitives of Moab and the remnant of the land. Whew, okay, I, I just I have to make a comment after that short little reading. I'm glad it's only nine verses. That had to have been probably one of the toughest v- chapters I think I've read yet. That was insane. Too many names that I just was unable to pronounce. My Lord. But, Yeah, man, I tell you, that was a little bit challenging for me. So a little historical background on Moab. Now, the the origin of the Moabites is recorded in Genesis 19. Now, when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, and his family were led by the angels to safety. And now Lot's wife, however, broke the commandment to not look back and was turned into a pillar of salt. Now, this left Lot alone with his two virgin daughters, and from fear of God's judgment, Lot went to hide in a mountain nearby. Now, seeing the destruction of of their city, 
Lot's daughters decided that there is no man for them to marry, a very odd decision considering there were many other peoples in that region at that time. And this reveals how loyal they were to the culture of Sodom. Now, therefore, in an abominable scheme, they ended up having sons from their father, and the eldest daughter's son was Moab, and the younger daughter's son was Ben-Ami, now the father of the Ammonites. Though related to Abraham, the Moabites and the Ammonites were the children of the heinous act which taught after the wicked ways of society God had to destroy because of their sins and never in their history turned to know the living God. Now, let's talk about the lessons from the text. So as we look at this, we got grace and destruction, right? Now, it's amazing that in the midst of proclaiming judgment on Moab, God inserts the phrase, my heart shall cry out for Moab in verse 5. Now, similarly, when Jesus was being criticized by the priest of the temple, he lamented over Jerusalem, saying that he desired to gather her under his wings as a hen gathers her chickens. And God so desperately wants to draw us under his protection, but we spurn him. Now, in infinite patience, God tries again and again to get our attention to accept his goodwill for our lives. And even with a nation like Moab that has chosen wickedness ever since, you know, the moment it began, God still extends his goodwill. Now, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, what's the point of the parable of the 90 and 9 sheep? Is it not that God does not want any one soul to be lost? No matter what your sin or the sin of your peoples or nation or family history, you know, God yearns for fellowship with you. He does. And he wants to be able to gather you as one of his own to call you by his name. The question is, will you accept him? Now, if regrettably you don't accept him, then you become like the nation of Moab, doomed to judgment, breaking God's heart as he watches you suffer for the consequences of your decision, hence free will. Now, as you break down these nine verses, verses one through three, God lists the major cities of Moab, the ones that I couldn't really pronounce. And because of their destruction, the people will weep and head to the mountains and shaving their head and beard and wearing sackcloths are signs of extreme grief. Now, this prophecy is repeated and expounded in Jeremiah. And as we look at verse 4, Heshbon is located just outside of the promised land beside the Jordan River and was given to Reuben and Gad. Now, Jahaz is about 20 miles to the south of Heshbon, and at the time of the prophecy, these cities were under Jewish control, yet the text clearly suggests that they are under Moabite control when these events occur. Now, as we look at verse 5, now, even while God was allowing Moab to be destroyed, he's really crying over them. Now, God's justice demands that he acts against the evildoers, yes, but he takes no pleasure in doing so. That's the, it's like a parent who punishes their children for doing wrong. You don't take pleasure in punishing your child. In fact, you absolutely hate it. I, it it's like you know that old saying, this hurts you or hurts me more than it hurts you. I believe there is a lot of truth in that with God. He does not want to take pleasure in he does not take pleasure in in punishing us and and you know and delivering justice that's he does not 
And as we get into verse 6, like the prophecy of chapter eleven fifteen, God will stop the rivers of Moab in the time of his judgment. And in the day of judgment, the Moabites will flee with everything they have just to find water. Now, as we look at the last two verses, 8 and 9, the prophecy now switches from an unidentified source of ruin to the divine hand of God against Moab. And God's judgment is not always in the form of a supernatural event. Sometimes it is God removing his protection to allow enemies to have the victory. And I think we have seen that to a, to a well, actually a pretty high level. I think we've seen that here in this country. Because if you actually look at how demoralized and chaotic our society has gotten and how it's become especially ever since like the 50s and 60s especially the 60s you know the drug sex sex and rock and roll generation right that was the sexual revolution generation peace love dope right i mean things got so crazy out of hand from then and continued to spiral downhill ever since the 60s and now we'll reach a point where it's like literally when we were at dinner i'm not even kidding you i thought this was a joke when we were at dinner, I'm talking to, a, a, you know, again, a neighbor of ours who works for a big bowling company, a, a brand that you would probably all be very familiar with, Brunswick. And he was telling me, and he's a professional man. He's not just some like factory worker, you know, that hangs around stupid, you know, what's. But he's always traveling and he he's he deals with professional bowlers nationwide. He sponsors them. I mean, he's he, he actually does quite a bit for Brunswick. And he was saying at dinner how, I forgot how we got on the subject, but somehow the subject of furries got brought up. And again, don't ask me how it got brought up. I think somebody made a joke and then it turned into a discussion. And then the next thing you know it, here we are talking about real life scenarios with people we know. And he was saying that there's people in his corporate offices that actually identify as furries. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, this is where we have, this is where we have, what we have become. I mean, we're, look, it's one thing to have a junior high kid say they're a cat or a furry or whatever the heck they want to be or claim to be the opposite sex. Okay, that's one thing because kids generally, they go through so many freaking phases, they have no idea. I mean, you know, it wasn't a big deal back in the day that a girl was a tomboy. whoop de doo So if a kid claimed to be a furry, okay, maybe it's just some stupid phase because that's the thing, that's the topic nowadays that everyone's talking about. But now you're talking about adults, professional adults, if you want to call it professional, but seemingly professional adults. Literally, not only identifying as furries, but they even take pictures, a husband and wife, dressed up in furry costumes, hiking. And that's their profile picture on Facebook. Are you kidding me? And it's not, uh, it wasn't done as a joke. These are real serious, bona fide, furry, um, self-identifying critters, I guess. Like, like, this is what we've become. So what's my point? I think God allows, again, like it was just, like we were just reading just a second ago. That God's judgment is not always in the form of a supernatural event. Sometimes he just removes himself from the picture to allow the enemies to have victory. Well, in this case, who's the enemy? Satan. Well, how's Satan the enemy? Well, first off, he's always been the enemy. Now, let's not get that twisted. But number two, 
by allowing Satan a, a stronger, you know, foothold in all this nonsensory of furry life and transgenderism. And let's turn everything that, you know, God made into the opposite world and, and bastardize it by turning the rainbow as a symbol of gayness, you know, God basically just removed himself from the equation and said, okay, you know what? I'm going to show you people something. I'm going to show you what it's like without God. I'm going to let you see what it's like without me. And you guys will eventually turn to me because when you start realizing the stupidity of the situation that you have all found yourselves to be in, you're going to come to quickly realize, wow, you know what? Maybe we should turn back to God because this makes more sense. And so, you know, again, God doesn't always deliver supernatural things. He just sometimes will remove himself from a situation. And that seems to be the case right now. However, I do believe we are turning the corner now with our assembly of states. Ever since Biden got in, quote unquote, office, which, by the way, he's not president. Anybody who out there still believes he's in charge. Joe Biden, I think, was responsible for bringing more people to Christ than I think anybody ever had, even Donald Trump. Because people are seeing the nonsensory BS that's taking place and with Hunter Biden and just everything that's going on. By exposing these people for what they are, I think these people have really turned more of our society and our nation turned to God because what else are you going to turn to? I mean, when you see all this craziness... And you keep trying to figure out, well, how do we fix this? How do we fix this? This is just so stupid. It just seems like we live in a twilight zone. How do we fix this? Well, I don't know. Let's start by opening up the Bible. Let's turn to maybe, I don't know, say the book of John or Proverbs or, I don't know, even start with the book of Genesis. Start somewhere in the Bible. Um, get the reading. Get on your hands and knees. Start praying and ask God, hey, um, God, and it does, hey, listen, and this is how simple it is. It doesn't even have to be formal. Just even if you didn't want to even get on your hands and knees, right? Have a conversation. You know, if you're driving your car, be like, uh, God, um, I know you made this world. And there's a lot of beauty in this world, but um, there's a lot of stupid crap going on around me. And I don't know what's going on. Can you please guide me and give me discernment and to be able to decipher good from bad and what's truth from fiction? I mean, you don't have to get too real formal about it. Just have a conversation with them like you're having a you know conversation with a friend next to you. So I think God removed himself from the picture for quite a while. But I think now he's returning back in our presence where more people, as they awaken, are starting to turn to God and centered God in everything they do. I don't know in case you haven't figured it out, but that's one of the biggest reasons why his hard line exists. We're trying to help people teach people how to invite Christ in their heart and seek the face of God. Cause we can't restore a nation unless we do that first. We can't restore our marriages unless we do that first. We can't become better parents to our children. If we don't turn to God and seek the heart of Christ to be within our own heart. We can't do any of these things unless God comes first, point blank. And keep him first, otherwise he's going to, again, remove himself from the equation. So if you want to have a positive sum total 
of something good in your life, keep God in your life. Otherwise, he's going to subtract himself and you're going to have nothing but negative experiences from here on out. I hope that makes sense. So anyway, like I said, very short chapter, only nine verses, but very important. Um, so that's pretty much, really, that's pretty much all I got. So with that, we will pray. Yeah, Oscar said it right. Pain is a good teacher. Yes, it is. Especially painful mistakes, because that's what we learn from the most. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here together for these wonderful lessons that you bring forth from your great book we call the Holy Bible. Truth be told, it sucks when you remove yourself from us. But you know what? We will make sure that we... <laughs> Sorry, God. Destry made a joke here in the chat board and he distracted me from prayers. <laughs> I'll tell you guys in a second. But we, we do thank you for all that you do. And we thank you for another day of life and good health. We appreciate your guiding light. And we just pray for this nation. And we ask for your forgiveness of our sins. We repent of them. And we repent of the sins of this nation. And so if you, if it's not too much to ask, just keep, keep revealing yourself to us in your wonderful way as we turn to you. Because we do not want to see you disappear on us again. We do not want to see you remove yourself from the equation. So with all that, we pray in your Holy Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. I tell you, it's funny. As uh, Asker, he put in here, pain is a good teacher in Destry because Destry's last name is Pain. He says, thank you. I try. LOL. <laughs> so as I'm in the middle of praying, I'm reading this, which is why I kind of busted out in stupid laughter here. <laughs> anyway, I hope you all have a great day or night wherever you're at in the world. And thank you for joining us. Uh, I know typically I do an, a, an assembly update and more on a Sunday. But because we had a county assembly meeting and then we had a friend's birthday dinner that we wanted to make sure we uh, we we got to, um, that'll probably come tomorrow. I have quite a few things I've been wanting to work on. I have another little project I'm trying to work on. Um, so I'm just trying to prioritize here. There's just so much to do and not enough time uh, to do it in. I'm sure you all probably been feeling the same thing. So. I hope you all have a, a blessed day or a blessed night wherever you're at. And again, I hope everybody had a great weekend and may the upcoming week treat you all just wonderfully. And you all, you come back tomorrow now, okay? All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Every day we have something going on. Whether it's 1% with him, a His Heartline discussion, or perhaps a Brandenburg Block Hour. Don't forget to check out the website, www.hisheartline.com. You can also find us on Podbean. But we are here six out of the seven days a week. Here just trying to get Jesus in people's hearts. To tell you how to assemble your nation. How to get your nation back. How to restore the republic. How to take accountability for your own life. And to finally be free.
says in Joshua 1.9, I command you, be firm and steadfast. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go.